Breadbox Media Programming is brought to you by... Looking for exceptional coffee delivered fresh to your door? We have the answer. Our friends at Grim Bean Coffee produce small batch artisan coffee using top tier coffee beans. The coffee is roasted when you order, guaranteeing the freshest coffee possible. Check out Breadbox Roasts, a new line of Catholic themed coffees available at www. Dot grimbeancoffee.com forward slash redboxmedia. Experience coffee like never before. Welcome to Tools to Ready the Journey, a conversation to help prepare and support young men for fatherhood. Welcome everyone to Tools to Ready the Journey, a father's guide to a faith-filled family. Welcome to episode four, and thank you so much for sticking with us here through this journey and through this podcast. We hope that you're enjoying it. We hope that you are getting something out of it and using it in your men's groups and using it as a companion to the book. I want to remind our listeners that you can and you should get a copy of this book, Tools to Ready the Journey, A Father's Guide to a Faithful Family by author Ray Haywood, and you can do it right on the website trjfathersguide.com. Head over there, get a copy of the book if you haven't already. We're on episode four, and welcome, Ray, to the program. It's so great to have you uh, joining me for this journey. I wouldn't have it any other way. Thank you for this time and fellowship, Bill. Absolutely, and as we kind of delve into chapter four in the book in this episode, we really need to go back and kind of recap before we do that, right? The first three chapters. So why don't you go ahead, Ray, and kind of do that uh, for, for our listeners and our readers. So I'll bring them into the competencies that I shared with you that um, that is given us the trajectory of this discussion. Um, going back and reviewing the first three chapters is very important because of placement in uh, this journey. So, uh, for our intentional listeners, they can now reflect back in discerning our discussions on the first three chapters and now find within themselves the well-used tools that we have handed on to them to this point in our journey. Awareness is shared, now made into competencies, able to be found within self-examination of the masculine journey, the possibility that our thoughts may not be of our own intent, and of the wedges of this world, our first three chapters, tools that are now owned within intent and now in reach, what I call tools of the heart. Now, with the knowledge and perspective of these truths shared and owned, we can now face the challenges to consider what the family that we will be held accountable by God to lead looks like in front of us. How many young men actually challenge themselves while they're dating to think about what the family in front of them looks like. Hmm. Um, so to this point, we've explored all inward thoughts and efforts uh, in our journey of reading and becoming an invested part of this blessing. Again, a part of this blessing. Now with these tools in hand, let's place intent on looking outside of ourselves Again, outside is where we're looking now. 
let's begin our chapter discussion, uh, chapter four, traditional roles. Just in its title, traditional roles, a trig, a, very much so a trigger topic and chaotic narrative now being perpetuated in our secular public square. Strength found in the fortitude forged within intentionally seeking out objective truth and what we're going to introduce today, natural law, the idea of it, natural law, of the intended trinity of the family that God created for us all is now being vigorously challenged. I mean, everywhere we look, it's just it's a sad reality, and um, it's a narrative, which is um, the court of public opinion is really just taking the sanctity of the family and placing it under their feet. And for many, living in and of this world, now sown unwittingly into the will of their morally unintentional post holes. In our last chapter's uh, discussion, we explored the idea of the trinity of the family, meaning mother, father, and child, God's view. And the only view of the family shared with us in objective truth. Let's go one step further in discussion in discussing traditional roles. Let's explore and understand what natural law is. Natural law. By definition, natural law is a body of unchanging moral principles regarded as a basis for all human conduct. Again, a body of unchanging moral principles regarded as a basis for all human conduct. As we look a little deeper, we find that natural law refers to the use of reason to emphasize human nature and analyze human nature to discern binding rules of moral behavior from God's creation of reality and mankind. God's creation of reality and mankind. Natural law. Beautiful thing to have as an awareness made into an, a competency. Uh, I look at this as the true Supreme Court of law, God's law. Something beautiful, isn't it? Uh, something that we're sharing now, Bill? Yes, it is. Uh, it is It is very beautiful how um, natural law and God's law line up. <laughs> very much so, right? They They are in perfect sync. No worldly interpretation can change the sacramental God-given gift of marriage in his view of the family construct shown to be true in so many unchallengeable ways in his design of our complementary humanity or take away its authority within our physical lives. Can we see how we need to explore the first three chapters to bring us to a place of willingness to even be able to attempt to reason through the worldly view of traditional family roles. So how do traditional roles work in today's world? I'm going to share with you the simple principles needed to be aware of as tools of reason to successfully navigate through a traditional relationship. Um, relationship that I've shared in with my wife for 31 years now, uh, a, 
a relationship that gives us a sense of security and a foundation, an order placed into our lives that can be compared by no other. Uh, God's view is such a beautiful view, um, especially the way that we're going to explore it in front of us in this conversation. Now, a woman, by design, wants to feel secure. Man, by design, wants to be respected. I'm going to say this again to drive this point home. Women need security and men need respect. Try to bring this awareness to the forefront of competency as soon as possible. For a relationship founded in traditional roles to reach its full potential of success, these two principles need to be applied. For if a woman does not feel secure, her husband will not receive the respect that is needed by design to him to feel fulfilled. The woman is the emotional heart of the family. The heart of the family is meant to be protected by the selfless, unconditional love of the man who is held accountable by God to lead his family. In turn, the man needs to be respected is in a conformed, inherent mirroring of his need to show respect to his heavenly father. I'm going to say that again. The man's need to be respected is in a conformed, inherent mirroring of his need to show respect to his heavenly father. This is by such beautiful design. When you think of marriage in this way, when you think of the construct, the trinity of the family in this way, it it gives you a, a, a sense of, of nothing but unconditional love. It, it lets you find your place easy in the family. As a, as a father, as a husband, as a man, strength, no weakness in the position of a father. Beauty, nothing ugly about the challenges in front that we face. Beautifully constructed in natural law. Natural law understood in this wisdom now shares and gains uh, that are now shared and gained in objective truth. These simple competencies apply. Truth shared with us all by our Heavenly Father's design are the basic principles needed and the foundation for sharing in a successful relationship. So, how can we as flawed, sinful people approach each other well enough to actually have success in applying these simple truths. My sister Charlotte once asked me, what does it take to share in a successful relationship? You know how I say, scratch it to the surface to bring awareness to the forefront? Well, this was one of those moments for me. The answer I gave shared the following awareness for both my sister and I. My explanation of a successful relationship that night so many years ago was, when two people care enough and love each other, cast their faults enough to make it work. Isn't that a simple thing? Isn't that just like, you know, in life, we confuse things as people. Uh, most of our answers are simple ones. I've said that many times. When we bring things down to a foundational view, basic, simple, we, we take the chaotic noise of this world out of things and we could see them clearly for what they are. Uh, 
as I said, simple, yes, but not so simple for us to do. Especially when another shared truth is that we hurt the people we love the most. That's just another truth shared of our flawed humanity. Just as in the truth that one-sided relationships will never work and are easy to identify when we take ourselves and emotion out of them. Here's something that I would like to share. Um, um, If you were to ask my children what their father shares with them about what kills relationships, I know for a fact they'll give you a one-word answer. Time. Time kills relationships because over time, we can't hide our true selves from each other. Our false selves, the person that we all reveal in the beginning of many of our newly formed relationships, is not a true reflection of ourselves. I shared in our last chapter discussion that the only thing that reveals truth in our physical lives is time of day. To lean a little further into that idea, we need to bring to our awareness that the only way we can find or see truth in many of our worldly situations is over time. In short, truth is told to us in time and over time. Just as over time our flawed humanity is going to be seen. This is a fact. Look back on your own lives to find this truth in what is being shared now. So how can we work past these challenging truths by seeing them for what they are and holding true in our, hum- in our human nature? Only one way, through the lessons we learn about our humanity in humility. Humility, to face the truth of our own sinfulness. If we do not own the tools of the heart, which is humility, then the composure needed to learn from past mistakes now owned will not lead to lessons learned. Just more failed interactions and relationships will result. Let's go back to the original point made and now place some perspective into what is shared with buying what we have now learned. Women need security in a relationship and men need respect. Now begin moving forward in your relationships while applying these simple tools. These are the answers to the tests. Place these tools in your heart and sow them into your will for all the time and with intent, they will prove worthy of you handing them on yourselves. Ray, there are so many amazing points you've made uh, in this. And as you just mentioned, to be able to sow them into your heart, take these tools and sow them deep into your heart. And over time, they will become a part of who we are as young men. It, it, and it's so important that you have taken the time to really reflect and explain it all to us. It might seem like there's a ton of information, and that is because there is a ton of information in what you've just shared. So listeners, you need to go back and you need to listen to this again and again and again. It's so important that you rewind this multiple times, really, and listen to Ray's words because he comes from a place of that head of household, right? He's coming from that place of head of household and he's able to instruct one who is younger and, and, and he does. And it's so beautiful. One of the things that Ray really touched on in, in his sharing was the natural law. And I want to bring that to 
a little bit more of an awareness for you young people listening to this because by the very fact that God created the world and this order, order now begets the natural law. His order defines what natural law is. And as a young person, that has meaning for you because the world is telling you that this order, that the way this order was created doesn't mean anything. What you see before your eyes, the trees, the plant life, the, the animals, and things such as gravity, right? They all are truth. And so what I, what I want you to understand is that it is objective. It doesn't matter what you think about it. It doesn't matter. And it sounds a little harsh, right? It really does. It sounds a little harsh, but you don't get to define gravity. You don't get to define what makes a squirrel a squirrel. You don't get to define what makes a tree a tree, right? These things are true and they're, and they're created by God. It's natural law. So therefore it lends itself into believing and seeing that other things are objective beyond what we encounter in the physical world. So it's just like we say in the creed. We believe in things visible and invisible. And when we begin to look at that, we begin to apply the objective truth to things unseen, visible and invisible. It's really, really important that you remember that the, that the objective truth applies to things outside of the physical world. And we're not just going to start chopping down trees because we can't see them. And that is such an important principle that we have to really understand it and internalize it. Right? We have to really understand it and internalize it. And it applies to the sacrament of marriage as we're going to talk about in this episode of traditional roles. And so therefore we have to understand that just because we don't see marriage like we see a tree or we see a squirrel or we see whatever out there in the world, it doesn't mean that the objective truth that marriage is between one man and one woman and it's a covenant between that that mirrors the Trinity. And just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not real, folks. Yes, all of those points are extremely valid. But also, we need to understand through natural law that marriage is defined. Chapter 4 leads in with the letter from St. Paul to the Ephesians. Um, it's the fifth letter. Are you familiar with it, Bill? I am familiar with it, and it really is a beautiful passage. It says this, Because the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, he is the Savior of his body. Therefore, as the church is subject to Christ, so also let the wives be to their husbands in all things. Husbands, love your wives, as Christ also loved the church and delivered himself up for it. In short, and mostly what every woman hears, um, and that is, as the church is subject to Christ, so also let the wives be subject to their husbands in all things. 
there are so many talking points in today's narrative when situational truth perpetuated in the worldly causes intentionally stops this verse here and continues with their own worldly interpretation. But when we view this verse through the lens of objective truth, selfless, unconditional love is the message that's shared. I challenge a God-sized view of marriage in exploring this further. Let's take ourselves out of this all for a moment. Let's look at this as intended by God. By following in Christ's example, we can see that Christ offers himself entirely to nurture his bride, the church. If we as husbands looked at marriage the same way, we would see that we too are called to offer ourselves entirely while nurturing the family that we are going to be held accountable uh, by God to lead. What do you think, Bill? You you talk about being accountable to God and then passing that on, you know, through the obedience of the wife to the husband. And it's such a beautiful passage. But I remember when I was picking out the readings for my wedding just this past summer, I, I really wanted to capture something a little bit different than uh, the traditional readings that were in the book for marriage prep. And I'll tell you that what I what the reading that I used was actually from, which has the same flavor, by the way, right? Um, it was the reading from Philippians. And when you look at the reading from Philippians, it is very interesting because it, it talks about us having the same mind as Christ. And it begins with, right, if there's any encouragement, this is chapter 2, Philippians, verse 1. It says, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any solace in love, any participation in the Spirit, any compassion and mercy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, with the same love, united at heart, thinking one thing. Do nothing out of selfishness or out of vainglory. Rather, humbly regard others more important than yourselves. Each looking out not for his own interests, but also everyone for those of others. Having among yourselves the same attitude that is also yours in Jesus Christ. And that right there almost completes the scripture from Ephesians, right? When, when you pair those two together, what happens? You get this beautiful thing that says, here's how you are to act. Having that same mind of Christ, having that same devotion to your wife that Christ does. No, no uh, selfishness, no vainglory, being compassionate, being merciful, regarding yourself not as important as others, meaning your wife, right? And having the same spirit as Christ in your own heart and relying on the Holy Spirit. So, yes, I, I recognize that is so important. And, you know, you, and unfortunately, in the wedding liturgies, you hear so often these same readings that we become kind of tuned out to them. And that's the reason why when I was selecting the readings for my wedding, I was like, I'm going to shake this up just a little bit. I'm going to pull this from a different spot in the lectionary because I know that by listening to these words, compassion, mercy, selflessness, right? Yeah. That is what we have to bring into the marriage. So I almost encourage the the reader and the listener, when you, when you read those words from Ephesians or you listen to those words from Ephesians, 
pair it with Philippians chapter 2, verses 1. And then if you really want to read it all the way, you can read it all the way to verse 11 because it is beautiful. Um, but, but at least through the end of verse 4, and you will see how beautiful that those two readings are complementary of one another and will lead you in your faith of, and especially in a young marriage, um, of, of how to do it. So how does Christ successfully lead our all-enduring, everlasting church? My answer to this question is simple, and it, uh, I find it to be what I call our foundation of faith. Um, he leads through the sacraments and what they instill. Grace. Grace. What is grace? Grace is undeserving favor. What do you think about grace? I always view grace as it is certainly undeserved favor, absolutely. But the way I look at grace is a, a beautiful gift from God. It's something that we can't manufacture, right? We, we, so as, as a young person, you can't manufacture God's grace. Um, it, it, yeah. it, it, it's a free gift from God. And again, St. Paul is so wise. Uh, he, he, he says, uh, you know, my grace is sufficient for you, right? Uh, yeah. it, when, when, and, and how beautiful is that, right? Knowing that grace is sufficient for you in your life, um, regardless of the struggles that you have, God is with you. It's almost, grace is almost like one of those things where you, you know that God is with you. God is saying, you know, I'm with you. I'm gracing you with the, the gifts and the blessings of, of your life. And then our, our thing is to respond to that. Our, our part of that is to respond to that. I remember I was in theology class in my freshman year or my sophomore year in college, and I had to take a sacraments course, actually. Ray was all about the sacraments. And one of the um, professors in that class, uh, Father John Begley, he, he, he outright said, you know, that we cannot manufacture grace, but you have to remember that grace is something that we must cooperate with. And when we are given grace, we need to cooperate with it. So part of that is recognizing what God's grace is. And as, as you do in this book, this book really helps us recognize where God's grace is working, right? As you begin to unpack for us and understand more about uh, the ways in which we can look at ourselves with the sacrament of marriage and as our husbands and roles as fathers, grace is all over your book because God has gifted you with that grace and that ability to cooperate with him and create um, a way for young men and all men to really lead their families. So that's how I look at grace. So in grace, we also uh, are shown mercy. In our reflection of humility in approaching our Heavenly Father, in turn, we receive grace, but also what we receive is mercy, that undeserving favor that is is granted to us when we face him when we face the cross when we face well our challenges we receive mercy uh mercy so divine that it can only be shared in god's grace to be understood just as marriage is so divine that it can only be shared in god's grace to be truly understood the sacrament of marriage so with these competencies you know uh with these awarenesses now that we're going to we're going to make into competencies. When we look around us, do we see men worthy of this role of being the father that you and I are describing within this chapter? Uh, men who know their 
place in their own lives well enough to take on this role successfully. In the New Covenant teachings of Jesus Christ, objective truth reveals to us that God the Father sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to lead his church. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Also taught to us in objective truth is God's plan for the family. The, tradi- the traditional role of the family, that no situational truth for the worthy, worldly cause for tolerance can see undone. Can you, uh, can you follow where I'm bringing us to a point where you could share in your uh, view of what's being shared? Yeah, absolutely, Ray. I just want to use one of the quotes uh, from your book, actually, real quick here. Um, because you asked the question about, are you seeing out there in the world men who are able to lead their families? And, you know, the answer really, unfortunately, is no. And you, and you have a great line in this, in your book. It's on uh, page 28 here. And it says, sadly, in today's world, we see fewer and fewer men exhibit this kind of love. Rather, we see more examples of emasculated men whose self-indulgent, socially accepted behavior leads to careless relationships and unintentional fatherhood. And you see, so that's the battle we're up against. Those battles are things that we explore in the book. Um, and they're, they're thought-provoking, um, but they're, they're also personal um, for us to come to that realization within our own hearts. We first need to own the tools that you and I are sharing in these moments now, the positives, the, the understanding of objective truth, the understanding of natural law, where these principles are clearly defined for us. Where there's, there's no subjective truth, situational truth within the defined role that our Heavenly Father presented to us within the Trinity of the family, the mother, father, and child. Exactly. Um, and also another thing I'd like to bring into um, the conversation is, indeed, by God's design, men and women are equal in dignity and worth, but by God's design, also very different. Differences that hold true in His design for the family. Right. Able to become. Go ahead. No, no, no. Right. You're exactly right. And that's, and, and, you know, it, it almost reflects you as you're talking about how it's defined the, the, the gospel of Mark, right? It, it says it outright. Jesus says it outright. He says, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. So for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, no human must separate, right? And isn't that beautiful how how it is defined? You know, you mentioned a few times in this episode, it is defined. And it's defined by who? It is defined by Jesus Christ, and it's defined by God through natural law. So those, so those two things have have revealed um, it to us. 
and it's implanted in our human hearts as much as our human hearts rebel against it. It's planted in there, right? Yes, and um, also the thing that you bring out in that reading is that uh, we are able to become one. Think about that. Uh, we're so complemented. We're, comp- we, we, we're so beautifully designed that we complement each other so well physically by nature. That we, and we're given these truly unique gifts um, through graces. Uh, within the sacrament of marriage, we, we procreate within love, unconditional love um, that, that we share within the family. That, that, as you shared earlier, when we think about societies, the societies that uh, promote and, and uh, instill traditional family roles, they're so much uh, more fulfilled. They're they're so much, they're they're just able to navigate well. And that's what our Heavenly Father wants for us. He wants us to approach our journey well, together. We're not supposed to do this alone. We never meant Jesus Christ himself needed in his physical life, the um, graces that were shared by the Heavenly Father with the apostles that he built on within his walking in his physical life with the apostles, for them to have uh, the, the wisdom and knowledge to apostolically provide us with the graces that they shared. Think about that. Jesus Christ himself couldn't do it alone. We're not supposed to do this journey alone. He's, you know, we're supposed to shoulder up to like-minded people. We're supposed to be able to discern the challenges of this world. And when we come to these awarenesses and we come to read what you just shared um, in that reading um, from Mark, which is uh, Mark ten six through 9, where we truly become one, then we start to have the awarenesses that we could bring into competencies where we could discern further what the book describes and talks about where other forms of family are viewed. And especially the way that we can approach our families who we love and sometimes love to a fault where we where where natural law is compromised within our free will and we view things outside of our heavenly father's design because we love somebody we compromise ourselves we compromise our will and it's not and and it's a forgivable thing from our father just the way that our children and you'll experience this as you have a family of your own will we can forgive our children of anything. As a parent, I tell you there's nothing that my sons could do that I would not be able to accept and help them through. And I can't even imagine how my heavenly father can forgive me in my shortcomings, in my human approach towards my family. Think of his divine approach towards me. So these things build and instill within me the graces that I find in the foundation of faith, the sacraments that the family is built within. All of these things are so beautiful, but we need to scratch. We're only scratching at it, as we've shared in the past. 
our listener needs to turn the page on this. He needs to, so that he could find and share in the relationship that's worthy of God's undeserving grace, the measure of mercy that makes it all worthwhile. The challenges become small when there's safety and security found in Scripture. All of these truths come to uh, to our awarenesses beautifully when men have conversations like you and I are, when we build on each other, when we build each other up instead of the worldly view of knocking each other down. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, you know, one of the things that I want to kind of bring out and you highlighted in there is the complementarity, right? The complementarity of um, husband and wife, man and woman is brought out it, it is brought out in this. Um, I had a very smart deacon one time tell me, uh, and maybe uh, it was just one of those divine moments when my ears were open, um, but, but he, he talked about the Trinity. And he said that the Trinity is the perfect model of both unity and diversity. And how beautiful is that when we think about marriages, when we think about ourselves, we bring into the complementarity of each other as man and woman, the perfect model of unity and diversity. So just spend some time, especially if you're dating or especially if you're out there thinking about getting married, think about the things that are complementary between you and your significant other and how it's a perfect model of unity and diversity. And if it is, if it is a perfect model of unity and diversity, what is going to happen is it's everything is going to fit together perfectly. Your marriage fits together perfectly. It doesn't mean that you're going to have all the, you know, you're not going to have problems. It just means that there is going to be a unity in your marriage and also a diversity. And it's modeled after the Trinity. It's modeled after the Trinity. Each has its own person, but it is also brought together in unity. And so I just challenge each and every young person out there listening to this episode to um, really take to heart what we've said throughout the whole episode, but um, really spend some time reflecting, especially if you're in a relationship, reflecting on where the common interests are, where the common values are, and where the differences are. Because the differences are also very important, and it's part of the heavenly process. It's part of the Trinitarian nature to be the perfect model of unity and also uh, unity and um, diversity. So that's uh, that's what I kind of have to mention about that, Ray. But I also want to ask you a little bit about the the uh, image that you used of the ruler for this uh, chapter in the book. Uh, as the reader flips through the book, there's such beautiful artwork. Um, and the, the image for this particular chapter is the ruler. So why don't you talk to us a little bit about why you chose the ruler for this uh, chapter? Well, when you think of traditional roles and then you look at that um, tool, the ruler, you think, wow, what is the uh, message there? When, when you, when you, at, only when you come through the journey that you and I just shared with the listener, only when they read the chapter and come to the end of it, 
will they view this tool the way that I placed it in to this chapter? So uh, by definition, a ruler is a person who rules or governs. But my placement of this tool into the chapter of traditional roles is used more as a means of measurement. And uh, I stress that because um, I'm going to challenge our listeners right now to exercise within their free will to um, challenge themselves. Are they truly able to measure up to the role of the father? And to approach well all the objective truths that we've shared and also stress uh, what natural law defines for us about the family unit, the trinity of the family unit, the mother, father, and child, and how uh, our obedience in and of traditional roles will safely bring us to our um, journey here um, within family life, within the construct of uh, the way that we view the world. You know, for the young listener, it's very important. uh, It's uh, don't be, don't let the narrative uh, like we shared in, um, the, the past chapters don't your thoughts have to be of your own will think about the last three chapters and how we explored them and you know when we were looking outside of ourselves. now in this chapter look within yourself and find within your will the challenge to understand well objective truth understand well natural law and to be obedient within knowing that you're going to be held accountable by god for all of your actions here these these are are truths um, that that we need to focus on, and also think clearly about what the family looks like in front of you as you're dating. Look at the girl sitting across from you in that cafe. Is this the girl that's going to sit at the table with your child, uh, helping with homework? Can, can you see her accomplishing that? Is she selfless? Does does she take the heart of the family? Does she fill that role of being the heart of the family? You know, is, is she, do you feel that you can see that in front of her? It doesn't have to be the moment that you're in. I mean, enjoy being young. Don't, don't think that I'm sharing with you that everything has to be a, uh, you know, just regiment. No, no. Just know clearly what's in front of you. Know the person that you're sitting across from. Do they have the same vision, the same view? I'm sure these are things that you challenged yourself with, Bill. Can you expand further for our listener on how you came to these, you know, to to what I'm trying to share here? Yeah, absolutely. I think it is something that, you know, as you are dating and as you are reflecting, you need to be able to look at um, inwardly. And, you know, when you guys think a lot about how um, they you know, are going to get engaged in that moment of, you know, engagement or whatever. But the reality is there's a lot of thought before that that needs to take place. For our listeners, you might not know this, but I spent some time discerning priesthood, which I believe is the it's just the thing for every man to do. I, I strongly believe that, um, that every man should discern uh, priesthood intentionally. 
But beyond that, um, I met somebody while I was in seminary, in pre-disseminary discernment process that was actually from Las Vegas. And he had had a checkered past, let's say. But he, but he told me something that kind of stuck with me. And he said to me, do not get engaged after six months or a year or even two years. He said, at minimum, at minimum, you should take at least three years of dating and everything that that lifestyle entails because it's really important that you get a very good picture of your future spouse. And only, as you mentioned earlier in this episode, does time do that. Time reveals it. As you mentioned, that time breaks up, um, you know, a lot of uh, relationships, right? Because it's because you can't you you can't uh, hide your true self over time. It's impossible. And that was his point, that by taking the time to test it, gold is tested in fire. Uh, so I challenge every young man out there that's that's you know had six months of dating or a year or even two years of dating, give it time to allow the gold to be tested fully. And it doesn't mean that you're not going to see the weaknesses. It doesn't mean you're not going to see um, those things. It's going to be, as Ray said, do you envision that person that's sitting across the cafe table right now at you? Do you, do you see them sitting across the table of your future child? Uh, you know, feeding them food and laughing and playing. Do you see it like that? Because if you don't, if you don't see it, then, you know, um, you need to rethink it and you need time to do that. So that would be my insight, Ray. Uh, and certainly the ruler and the, and, and the way we rule measure, measure that um, is, is over, over time. Uh, so, so definitely think that that's an important thing to leave our listeners with. So uh, you mentioned contemplation. That's very important. Uh, you also mentioned uh, a period of time. You mentioned three years. Isn't it funny? Three years. That's exactly the ministry of our Lord and Savior, our, our living God, Jesus Christ. So now that we're contemplating um, what the family, uh, what our family would look like in front of us, chapter five, owning your own faith. But it just leads in beautifully, because now you've come through the first three chapters, you've explored chapter four of the traditional roles, you've, 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 you've got a very good sense of what is expected of you. Now, in chapter five, you're going to learn and, and face the challenges of starting to own your own faith within these awarenesses. It's going to be a beautiful chapter to explore, Bill. It will be, and it will be. Um, but we'll leave our listeners uh, off right here for this episode, and we thank you for tuning in and joining with, uh, with us on this journey uh, to find the tools to ready it and be uh, prepared for it. Uh, I want to remind uh, everyone that they, if not yet, purchased the book from the website and um, to do so because it's very important. So trjfathersguide.com. Uh, all the resources are there as well, the Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, 
all the all the ways to connect with Ray and learn more and um, connect with the community of support is so important. Got to have it. Got to do it. Really encourage uh, you all to visit trjfathersguide.com. Join the Facebook groups. Join the Instagram. Join the Twitter. Um, we are with you on the journey. Ray is so committed to that, um, that he is with you on the journey. He is ready to help you on the journey. And it goes far beyond a podcast and a book, folks. So uh, join the communities. Be uh, intentional about doing that. Uh, and, of course, thank you, Ray, for your time and your fellowship, as you always say, uh, to be uh, with me and sharing this. It is a great and rich blessing on my life, and I know it's a blessing yours as well. So thank you. Thank you for the intent that you put into sharing this with our listeners. Thank you for this time and fellowship. Of course. Well, this has been an episode of Tools to Ready the Journey. Until next time, I'm Bill Snyder for Ray Haywood. Be intentional. You've been listening to Tools to Ready the Journey, presented by Breadbox Media. For more information about this ministry to young men, visit trjfathersguide.com or search for TRJ Father's Guide on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Tools to Ready the Journey is a production of Patchwork Heart Ministry. To learn more about how Patchwork Heart Ministry can support your ministry, visit patchworkheart.org. Breadbox Media Programming is brought to you by... It's so much more than just a profile picture. At Catholic Singles, our platform offers you many opportunities to get to know the person behind the picture. Sign up today at catholicsingles.com. Jack Kane Ford. Find your next Ford Tough Vehicle at caneford.com.